0: Ladies
1: and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at at The Block. And today we have one of my favorite reporters in the space, Brady Dale, formerly of Coindesk, now at Axios, joining us to talk about his new book, SPF, The FTX Bankruptcy Unwound. He feels very bad, good guy. Brady, thanks so much for taking the time. Congrats on the book. And of course, we have my colleague, Nathan Crooks, joining us again on the show. But before we dive into that and more, I wanna take a moment to thank our sponsors. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you wanna support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the Clean Spark way. What was sort of the impetus for deciding to write a book about crypto, and then more specifically, Sam and the whole situation?
0: Well, I'd always wanted to do it. You know, this book was Wiley's idea. I mean, there was an editor there who had the idea to do a book like this and went looking for someone to do it. And I had made a funny comment about the SAM disaster on the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. And he heard that and decided to look into me. And so that's the origin. I've always wanted to do books in general, books about crypto, etc. As it happens, I had written a book proposal at the end of, I guess that would have been 2021, that kind of pertained to SAM. I thought it'd be interesting to do a book about the launch of SushiSwap, you know, the Uniswap versus SushiSwap battle, just because that was such a weird moment with such a crazy outcome. And so I had covered it at the time. And I had also done a lot of additional reporting on that for the proposal. So that was all this work that I already had done, which is reflected in the middle part of the book since I tell that story in there, because it's relevant to Sam, because that was kind of his debut, in my opinion, as a leader in the crypto space. And I also thought it was really illuminating story. So I had already kind of done some work on a book relevant to Sam. And then the opportunity came along and it seemed great to me. It's the biggest story In years, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. And how do you sort of take something like that and turn it from what might have been a, I don't know, positive is the right word, but a more hero arc story to then shaping it to match the actual reality? And I think that's kind of evident in your headline.
0: Yeah, totally. It's (laughs) not a hero story anymore. That is for sure. You know, I was never worshipful of Sam, though I did always think he was a super smart guy and I did think he was unique in the space and you know honestly that version of the story did present him and it does in the book too presents him as having done a good job on the Sishi swive thing but not really like heroic and then I was already aware even before FTX went down that there were a lot of people out there who had mixed feelings about him they felt like he's sort of like road roughshod over smaller projects yeah. and, and space and things like that. So I was cognizant of those things. And I always felt like he was doing it kind of for his own reasons. And those reasons were he wanted to be known as the guy who was saving the world. But still, not everyone necessarily agrees with how to save the world or, or wants their project to be ridden roughshod on. So I always had a nuanced take on the guy, though. I, <laughs> I never suspected anything like this would happen either.
1: So walk us through the characters. And how the story develops for maybe folks who follow the space as closely as, you know, I do and as you have and, you know, really crypto native people who knew Sam from 2018 to the present day. What should we expect? Who are the characters? Are there any unusual suspects as it were? And walk us through maybe just the story without giving too much away.
0: Well, my book's thesis is that there's only one character and that's Sam. Mm. And I think that's right. One unnamed source in the book, I think this is in there. I'm pretty sure it's in there. They didn't want me to attribute them, but, you know, interesting person. Had spent some time in the Bahamas and said, like, pretty early on in their time there, someone, you know, took them on a walk and were just like, look, this place is all about Sam. Like we're an organization built to like maximize this genius we have at the center of our operation. I mean, that's not a quote. It was something, you know, a statement along those lines. Yeah. And to me, that just squares with everything else I saw and heard. You know, he was always the guy who did all the talking. It seems like things were his vision. I mean, just to illustrate what charisma the guy had, you know, like, I mean, Gary Wang left a job at Google to come start this crazy thing. I mean, you know, and was like willing to work his brains out for it. So like, my stance and, you know, the trial could show differently, but just based on what I saw and what I've learned and kind of, I don't know, my instinct for these things, I really do think it's the story of Sam and then a bunch of people who got sucked into his vision, you know? So he's the only real character for me and he's the only one I really focus on. I barely mention the other ones in the book. I sort of say at the end, like, there's a reason they don't come up and it's because I don't think they matter. Mm. Really.
2: Nathan, how does that square uh, with maybe your impression of your reading? I think one of the things that caught my attention, you opened chapter one by saying that you're drowning in Sam and as everything started hitting when we were all covering it, I think that's how we all felt. We were drowning in all of this. And what do you think about this particular story made it like that versus some other news cycle? I mean, this did feel different, especially to those of us who were all covering it. So... You know, how did you come up with that metaphor? And what do you
0: think is so unique about this story? Well, that drowning in Samoa, I'm glad you brought that up. That's kind kind of an experimental thing at the start of the book. I mean, it's meant to read, and I really struggled with this, and this is like the one part of the writing that was hard for me in the whole thing, is it's meant to read as like, this is a letter from that one moment, which I think it was dated like December 1st or something like that. You know, it's like, it's the one time in the book where I'm like, this is a memo from me at this one time and how I feel at this moment. The rest of the book is all the book, but then that one is there. And that was in the heart of the time when he was appearing every place he could. I think what was actually going on at the second that that happened, if I'm right, is like I had finished a day of work. You know, I didn't really take any time off Maxius to write this book. I just would work during the day and then I would write at night. And so I had spent, you know, all day thinking about Sam. And then I was trying to get off. And I think I was trying to go do some like further back in history research on the guy. And then it came out that he was doing, you know, one more freaking Twitter spaces, you know, and it, I think this was the one where it was just a bunch of kind of like random dudes who had pulled it together and he was like trying to like talk tough with them. This is the one that CopyZilla eventually appeared on. I think that was that night. And I was just sitting there like, do I need to listen to this guy say the same crap again? You know, because like I mentioned, you know, I wrote the story in Axios and I also sort of say it again in the book where I yeah. talk about it. The series of big appearances in there. I include his appearance on this podcast, but I'm just like, he just was kind of saying the same things over and over again. And, you know, I mean, kind of in a scripted way, though not in a way that felt like super prepared. And I was sitting there, I was like, do I need to drop everything and listen to this damn Twitter spaces again where no one's going to get anything new out of him? They're just going to yell at him and that will be sort of satisfying for them, I guess. But we're not going to learn anything. And I did some. And then at a certain point, I just quit. But yeah, that's how I felt at that real moment in time. It was just like, he's everywhere, he's doing this on purpose, I guess. I don't think he's going to get anything out of it, but I see why he's doing it. So that's what I was speaking to at that moment is he was just overwhelming us, And everyone felt like they had to take it if he called, if he said, I'll talk to you. They were like, oh, this is my opportunity. But, you know, looking back on it, not that any, everyone wasn't great reporters, they were all great reporters, but no one really got anything else out of him. You know, we're just having the same conversation over and over again, but we all felt like we had to do it because he was the story of the moment, you know? So I felt like I was drowning.
2: Yeah, I think most people do. You compare it to a Greek tragedy at one point. Do you think it is a Greek tragedy? Is is that what this was? Or was it something different?
0: I use uh, Greek and mythical images throughout the whole book kind of on purpose. And it is meant to be kind of a comment on the story and also Sam's worldview. You know, Sam and the FTX crew and the whole rationalist world he comes from has this vibe that old ideas are garbage and tradition is garbage and dumb and we shouldn't care about those things. And so I use that sort of symbolism of myth a lot to sort of illustrate how like their whole attitude of like we can sort of work out the entire world from first principles again may not have been that smart. So, I mean, do I think it was a Greek tragedy? I certainly think Sam was someone who flew too close to the sun. Yeah, I think so, Um, Mm -hmm. and I also think he thought he knew how to fly places that other people knew not to fly to, you know? So, yeah, I think it has echoes of it anyway.
1: Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark CleanSpark is a NASDAQ listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more even in your own sort of reporting this out, do you have a conclusion or a conjecture on the extent to which this whole enterprise was always not up to snuff?
0: Do you? I don't. I don't have a conjecture sort of of a degree. I think they were always rushing things and they were always kind of putting off risk management and security to, you know, another day. So... Yeah, I think they were always in a hurry. Mm -hmm. But does that mean I think that they had a multi-billion dollar hole in
1: 2021?
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know. Probably not. I I don't know. But I I have no way of knowing that kind of specificity. I think they were always in too much of a hurry.
1: Were there any revelations that surprised you as you were kind of putting this together?
0: To me, the biggest surprise, I think, came the day I was supposed to turn this into Wiley. Mm-hmm. I finally got an interview with him. And I think I spelled this out in the book, but I had like, I did this interview. I mean, I'd had a couple old interviews with him that I already had in the can from like way before the crisis, but I would never done anything with him. So I put some bits of that into it. But this was, you know, one afterwards. And I didn't really think I was going to get anything out of him that anybody else was. But having looked so closely at the story, I sort of asked about a few different pieces of it that I just didn't quite understand. And one thing he said to me in that discussion And, you know, more details about this might come out in the trial. I just sort of Mm -hmm. have what he told me in there. But that I think is pretty interesting, and this is pretty crypto audience specific, but fortunately it's a crypto podcast, is, you know, I don't know if you remember, like Lucas at Coinmetrics had done some like on-chain sleuthing and he was like, it's weird how FTT moved around. You know, when you look at their token, he was like, it had a big unlock event in like in mid-2022. And he was like, if you look at what happened with the FTT, it all went straight to a wallet that is widely known as being associated with Alameda. And then it immediately bounced over to an FTT wallet. And so I asked Sam why that was. And he said, Oh, well, that's because FTT always belonged to Alameda. That was the deal from the start, like all of the locked up set aside FTT was Alameda's. That was our payment to Alameda for letting our executives come work for this new exchange, FTX. That was sort of FTX's payment to Alameda. And I mean, that was a big revelation. I mean, it sort of showed how important FTT had been to Alameda for years at that point. So, yeah. yeah, I guess that was kind of the big one.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of speaks to the whole theory that FTT and FTX was effectively designed from the start to save Alameda or cover up some hole dating back to 2019. What was that conversation like with Sam? You were already drowning in Sam. How did you approach that that conversation?
0: I think much like all the other reporters did. I mean, I found him to be surprisingly unemotional in it. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't seem to be too stressed out, sort of. I feel like I would have been more stressed out. When I asked about, like, the actual case against him, he got defiant. You know, he he said he was really insulting to the new CEO of FTX. You know, you guys did that in the book. And then he was like, I don't really think they have any evidence against me. If you look at the initial complaints, there's no evidence, mm-hmm. you know. Subsequent complaints, I feel like I've fleshed that out more. You know, now they have three cooperating co-founders. Mm-hmm. So I think there's more there. But he seemed to really feel like he had a case at that time. You know, the one thing where I thought I could kind of get him to open up a little bit, but I really couldn't, is I just tried to get him to talk about how he was feeling, you know, how he was looking to the future. But he said the same thing to me, as he said to everybody else. It's just yeah. that, like, he's not going to worry about that until it's more real, so. We only had like a little over an hour to talk. I wish we could talk more, but it wasn't much.
2: Do you think he was telling the truth? Or do you think he believed what he was saying? I'm sure a lot of people will debate whether or not it was the truth. But do you think he believed what he was telling
0: you? I you to get philosophical here for a second. Here's a way in which I'm often confusing to people. And I think it's an important thing for reporters to think about. I think a person can say something that's not true without lying if they believe it. Right? So if you say a wrong thing that you really actually think is true, you're not actually lying. You're being honest. It's just, you're wrong. I think that there is a world in which Sam believes there's a defense in which he's innocent. And you know, one of the first things I say at the beginning of the book is that like one thing you learn as a reporter is you think you understand a story and then new facts arise and you realize you didn't understand anything at all. So, there is a world in which I wonder if, like, there isn't some set of facts that we can't even imagine that is out there that he knows about. As time goes on, I become less and less convinced it is. But I do believe he thought he had a case when we spoke, Nathan. I guess that's my answer to your question. I believe he thought he had a case.
2: Yeah. Do you think any of this could have been prevented?
0: Yeah, Everything could have been prevented. None of this needed to happen.
2: He had a lot of, I don't know if you could call them enablers, but people who went along with everything from people in government, celebrity endorsers. I mean, I think everyone, press, kind of wanted to believe this story. What do you think made him so compelling in selling this vision? Nathan, I've asked that question a few times and I'll just
1: reconfigure it because I think it's one of the more important ones. What was it about him that allowed so many people to sort of turn a blind eye or look over some of these red flags, gloss over what in hindsight is now fairly obvious. Was it because he was so open in a way that was almost a way to distract us, throw glitter in our eyes?
0: Look, so I think one really crucial thing to understand about Sam, and one of the reasons why in my book, I go all the way back to the beginning of his time in crypto to 2017. You know, for those of us who've been around for a while, I think we all feel like those of us who've been through a bear market have a certain amount of sophistication that other people don't. And I wanted people to understand that Sam had been through a bear market, right? To me, that's really crucial to understand when you also look at how much he like threw caution to the wind in 2022. It seems especially crazy when you understand that. Like if I had to guess, and I don't have the space on anything, right? I mean, this is not based on like reporting I have or anything, it's just vibes. But if I had to guess, I would say SPF was largely fine through the end of the bull market in November, 2021. That would be my guess. And then my guess is what we'll find at trial is that, well, we won't know this. We won't know his thinking, but my guess is Sam believed that when the bear market came, he either had to win then and make FTX the number one cryptocurrency exchange in the world, Mm -hmm. or he was always going to be number two to Binance, right? Like I believe he thinks that that was his opportunity. And so they took a few last big swings in late 2021 and early 2022. This is my guess. And that's what went wrong for them because they thought they were the smartest guys in the room And they thought that they could make money when everybody else was losing money. And then they would have enough that would allow them to pull ahead of finance over time. That's what I think is the crucial thing to understand here is like if anybody else had been running this company, anybody else who just cared about having like a good company with nice returns and a nice place in the market, I think FTX would have been fine because everyone knows that FTX, I think we're all pretty convinced that on its own, it was making plenty of money. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the desire to have a gigantic war chest such that Sam could save the world and also pull ahead of Binance and also be the number one exchange in the United States when it finally got a green light to be here, right? Like they wanted to do all those things. Sam needed to be at the top of the heat. It wasn't just enough to be successful. And so that's what I think was going on. And I think also that idea of being number one in the world is a very enticing vision for a lot of people. They really liked that, like not being satisfied, just making plenty. But in answer to your question, Nathan, I think if they would have cut Alameda loose, not even that early, probably even just in early 2022, FTX would still be doing great, making plenty of money. Like, that's my instinct. But they took a bunch of big swings that were crazy, and here we are. You know, who knows? But that feels right to me. I think it was all about the need to get ahead of Binance. And that's the only thing that makes sense. And
1: the connection to
0: Alameda. Well, right, because if Alameda makes lots of money, if their hedge fund makes lots of money, that's more money that can be dumped back into FTX to you know, go bigger. You know, that's where they can get outsized gains. You know, FTX makes nice money, but it makes it in a boring way. It makes it a nice little churn. You know, Alameda is the thing that can make the outsized gains that allows them to become number one later. Right? So That's the only way I can square the circle of someone who had seen a bull market before and kept making big swings after Bitcoin at all-time highs. I mean, the rest of us, I think, know after Bitcoin clearly hits an all-time high and falls, that's, it's time to start like pulling back, you know? But it doesn't seem like they did that.
1: But he viewed this all as just a video game
0: to an extent. I think that's right, yeah. And it was a video game as long as he was just playing with VC money, then it's fine. Played it as a video game. The trouble is he wasn't anymore at a certain point. And he didn't internalize that, it seems like.
1: So what other lessons do you think one can glean from reading this? That's probably one important one. Generally, don't let a myopic hubris, impede you from being able to see the risk in a market, especially after a big wrong bull run, what other lessons maybe are there?
0: To me, the most important lesson of the FTX story is a lesson that we've learned in crypto a hundred times and that was taught from the very first days of Bitcoin. And that's, you know, don't trust, verify. Not your keys, not your coins. I mean, that's the lesson of the entire industry is. You have the chance to steward your own assets. And so you probably should. And if you want to play in casinos, like that's fine, but don't leave all your money in the casino. Just leave your play money in the casino and pull the rest of it out, you know? And don't buy it when people say like, you know, don't use crypto the way it was meant to be used. Use your self serenity. To me, that's the most important lesson. And when someone tells you that they're different, that's not a good sign.
1: So what does the market look like in the aftermath of this? Will we take sort of, D-Y-O-R, more seriously?
0: Probably not. I mean, the people who got through it and learned the lesson will. You know, there's always a cadre of of people in crypto who are smart, but, you know, there'll probably be another wild boom and a bunch of noobs will come in and they'll buy into this nonsense FUD line that when people come in and give them warnings about things, they'll be like, (laughs) they'll be called FUDsters. You know, especially if like journalists who do it and we're called FUDsters when we like, you know, pin out some basic problems with things and, yeah, it'll all happen all over again. I don't know. It's a bummer.
1: Yes, to, you know, maybe play devil's advocate. Like, surely we will mature at some point. Otherwise, is it all for not?
0: Oh, yeah. I've always said that I think crypto will have, you know, probably one or two more big, crazy runs and it'll become boring with the Internet. Mm-hmm. That's what happens with everything. You know, it's just like the end of all things isn't death, but corruption. You know, it's like eventually oh. it'll become a part of the system and then. It'll become corrupted and it'll lose its values and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think one day there will be lessons learned. It'll all be structured and have rules and there'll be like norms and it'll just be a part of the way the world works and no one will really care anymore. You know, one of the jokes in the book, but it's also dead serious. I mean it when I wrote it is, you know, I have all these explainers over the course of the books and one of them is how does Bitcoin work? And my answer is it doesn't matter. And I think that's right. Like if you ever end up using Bitcoin on a daily day basis, even if you don't even know you're using it like TCPIP, right? You're not going to care anymore how it works. It's just going to be a part of the guts of your life. And I think, yeah, I think that day will come for crypto. It will be some part of some important larger system. I wouldn't make a guess as to what. And then it'll be boring and there won't be these wild cycles anymore. But because it's a financial product, it kind of has to go this way.
2: Yeah. Brady, I noticed you end the book kind of, imagining this alternate reality in which SBF never got caught. And I I think you've already talked about this a little bit, but what would that world look like and would it eventually have caught up to him or caught up to someone else? Was what happened bound to happen? Or I think it's a really interesting way to end a book as an alternate reality. And are we better that we didn't go down that path? I think so. The fact that this all
1: came out, I think it would have been way worse if it didn't.
0: I think it would have been bad, too. But yeah, it's, so, you know, the story I tell you know, the book this isn't really a spoiler or anything. I sort of ask people to ask themselves this question of like, what if nothing had gone wrong? And, you know, imagine SBF at some like fancy event, you know, on stage at the, like, the Kennedy Center or something. And at that point, he admits in some way, like, you know, he's done all these things. He's cured malaria or whatever. And, you know, it's like 40 years from now, 20 years. I don't know what I said. Maybe it's 30 years from now. What doesn't really matter. And he says, like, is it okay for me to admit now that I might have screwed over a bunch of those on the way to curing malaria? Because I think, you know, there's this way in which a lot of times if somebody does some bad things in their life, but sort of ends it on a positive note or like has kind of become beloved in some way, there's this way in which we sort of view that as like rogue behavior and like kind of charming and sexy. You know, we sort of like, like it as long as like not too much went bad if people are like oh we broke the rules for a while but kind of who cares i do sort of suspect that if he had gotten away with all this if they'd managed to make the money back and no one had ever noticed it might have ended up something like that that's sort of how i think it would have been you know and i think we ought to be realistic with ourselves about that i don't know yeah i mean it was a pretty big hole there might have been no way that they ever could have made it back but it's a good thought game for us all to play
1: i agree Well, Brady, where can we get the book? Where can we learn more? Where can we follow you?
0: I mean, the book available, wherever books are sold, you know, I keep saying, I encourage folks to go into their local bookstore and order it. It's good for me, too, because then maybe the bookstore will carry a few extra copies. But, you know, support bookstores. Obviously, it's on Amazon. It's been on Amazon for a while. You can get it there. It's on that bookshop site, that bookshop.org site, all the things. In terms of where to learn more, you know, I'd love it if folks subscribe to the Axios Crypto Newsletter. My co-writer, Christine Kim, and I do that every day. I think we do a good job making the big news in crypto simple and comprehensible for folks. So that's good. And of course, like everyone in crypto, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Brady Dale on there.
1: Definitely go follow Brady. Brady, thanks so much. And congrats on the book. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me. me. Pleasure's all mine. And I
0: so much approve of you losing the mustache, Frank. I'm so it. I choice. know a lot
1: of people are in favor of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it makes me a bit more approachable.
0: Yeah, way to go.
1: So good to see you. Hopefully talk to you soon. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with you soon with another great guest. Have an awesome day.